Good morning. Welcome to chapel this morning. Just one quick announcement for us as we begin our time together. Everyone's still chatting. Um, This week we have Mental Health Awareness Week. So just I'm sure you guys have already been um, aware of that and participating in some of the different events on campus. Um, But all through this week and through the evening, there's lots of activities and um, seminars and things like that going on. So be sure um, to support those events. I'd also like to just, um, as we begin, introduce our chapel speaker for us as we begin um, the service. Today we have with us Reverend Kevin Modesto. He is currently a professor of social work and the chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Work at Point Loma Nazarene University in California. He is a graduate from ENC with a BA in history and a minor in political science. He has also earned an MA in religion and social change at Eastern Theological Baptist Seminary, as well as an MS and PhD from the School of Social Work at the University of North Carolina. Um, He and his wife, his wife Becky, is also an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene, and they have four children, three girls and one boy. They have a sophomore at Houghton College, a a senior and sophomore in high school, and an eighth grader as well. And they also have three dogs that they include as a part of their family. Um, So would you join me in welcoming him this morning? And I've also asked if um, Tiffany would come and pray for us this morning as we begin in worship. Please pray with me. Dear God, we just thank you for another day to be in your presence, Lord God. We ask that you just have your way in chapel today, Lord God. Have your way in our lives, Lord God. You're truly Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Lord God. And we just ask that your presence just be in this place, Lord God. We thank you for the chapel speaker. and We ask that your anointing follow him today, Lord God. We thank you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. I, I, maybe I shouldn't say welcome. Uh, maybe it should be the other way around. But I, I, I am truly humbled um, and, and uh, honored to be here. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. And, and these guys, they all spent a week in my home church in Collingdale, Pennsylvania. If anybody knows Philadelphia, it's just right on the edge. And uh, I thank you for your songs, because I tend to be amazed at uh, how, I, you know, I didn't talk to you. Heck, I didn't know exactly what I was going to speak about until probably about an hour and a half ago. Uh, I kind of listened to a variety of people, so I tried to ask some people about what they thought we should talk about. And uh, got a chance to talk to Tina there, who's a front row person, which is really good. But then we had Dunya and Kenya and Hugis and, and then uh, Trayvon, who I'm not sure is here, but he said we need to talk about salvation. Um, and in many ways, uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. As I was running my canyon, I, I live in San Diego, and uh, where I live, there are a lot of canyons. And, and so I tend to run in there in the morning, and I forget to write down, I have all these ideas worked out, uh, and then I come home and I start doing other stuff, I should sit down and write, because that's usually when the best ideas are flowing, um, but I've been thinking for a long time about that whole notion of, of God's love, because if there's something I learned here at Eastern Nazarene College, um, it was the importance and the power of the love of God. Um, as the most transformative element in this world. 
I guess I should be more, um, I'm an academic. I should not be emotional. I should have dispassionate analysis, which I actually am fairly good at. <laughs> um, and I and probably have a strong reputation of, of being kind of hyper-logical, quite frankly. Um, um, but when I think about the incredible love of God, I can't get away um, from how grateful I am. So, um, it's my privilege to be here. And, and I think as I listen to people, initially I had a couple of ideas working. You know, because the, the, the well, SGA I think is what they call it. Now, the, the, the core verse was the, uh, Philippians 2, 1 and 2, which is really this powerful verse. And uh, I love context. I'm a social scientist. I'm a sociologist. I, and I'm a historian. So context is like really, really, really super important to me, if that makes sense. Um, and so I love the story in Acts 16 where this verse kind of emerges because the church in Philippi, some people are turning their Bibles. Don't turn your Bibles to Acts 16 unless you really want to get the context of that because I'm not going there. Uh, but in Acts 16, um, what we see, we see Lydia, the seller of purple, this wealthy woman who invites Paul and Silas into her home and shows great hospitality. She's one of the, she's one of the rocks of the church in Philippi. We see this little girl. And, 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 and Lydia, while she was wealthy, sellers of purple, people who made cloth, they were marginalized on society. So she had wealth, but she didn't have status. There's, there are different, I guess I might be sounding a little bit sociological here because that's the kind of things we talk about all the time. She didn't have status. So, and then they run into the little slave girl. Slaves definitely don't have status. And Paul and Silas get put into jail because they cast the demon spirit out of the slave girl. And the slave owners lost their economic opportunities. And so they thought that was a problem. Paul and Silas, again, a marginalized person in society, when they come and encounter the power of God, they're set free. And then we meet Paul and Silas, they're in jail, they're singing, and all the bonds break. But you have the jailer who's going to commit suicide because he is in bad shape by the Roman government if his people escape. He's good as dead. And in fact, things, there's different worries I've heard about. Sometimes they said they put them in their clothes and burned them alive if they failed their duty, right? So he's saying, I'm going to fall on my sword. It's a lot easier than burning. But they say, no, 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 don't run away. And he saved that night along with his family. So that's the context, but, but it's still not exactly what I think is important. Um, my other thing I've been running with and, and thinking, and I think it's part of the story of Eastern Nazarene College, is uh, 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 7, kind of through the end of the chapter, which says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the rest of First Philippians 2. Or, or, or Philippians 2, kind of right after 1 and 2. That's the rest of it, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. 
He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so, we know and rely on love God ha- and the love God has for us. God is love. The, those who live in love live in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, which is kind of the important part for me. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God and yet hate our fellow believer, we are liars. If we do not love one another, our brother or sister whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. This is... And this has given us this, his commandment. Those who love God must also love one another. We live in a day and age where love is not particularly present. We can't have a meaningful civil conversation in this world and in our society right now. Actually, one reason why I kind of really wanted to do this is I've talked to students the last couple, actually here the last couple days, but in my, my home school at Point Loma, Maybe the last two or three years, people have had greater levels of anxiety and fear than I've ever seen. There is hopelessness. There is fear. I'm trying to figure out why. So, Johnny, I appreciate your, your testimony and intro to this song. You know, it's like, why? Why is there so much fear? And when we think about it, we, we have people who are in the public spotlight who are constantly calling us to these crazy ideas. And in fact, sociologically, statistically, we live in the safest time, at least in the United States, ever in the history of the world. If you live in Syria, it's a little different story, right? But if you live here, you can't be any safer, ever. You've never been safe, but we're fearful. So where do these ideas come from? And I listen to students, I start to hear things. And that fear, that fear of kind of messing up or screwing up kind of gets in the way of our having healthy, productive relationships. And it gets in the way of us doing things that are exciting, things that God calls us to. Because, in fact, the things that God calls to are often very different than the things that the world calls us to. The thing that God calls us to is to cross boundaries. We see Paul and Silas interacting with Lydia, a woman, right? This is not, we could go to John 4, right, and see where Jesus goes and interacts with a woman who's on the margin, or John 8, possibly. But we have Paul and Silas here interacting with this woman, and she invites them into her house and shows hospitality and grace. Lydia didn't have much fear. We see the jailer who at one point had fear but was transformed into a place where in fact he loved and showed hospitality. And not only showed hospitality, he, he, he bound and kind of cared for Paul and Silas's wounds in the jailer's house. So, so what really matters? And another thing I've heard from students, I asked uh, Dr. Hank to ask some of our students, and I asked a couple of students, what should we talk about? And like, there's all these kind of ideas, these notions of relationships, and these, these ideas that come around. Uh, and I, I have all kinds of ideas, I think, what they mean. There's code words, and as, as a social scientist, we're always looking at what are the code, what are the ideas underneath the code. And some of the things that some of the people told me, they reminded me of me. And I, I, I also caught, I, I talked to the religion faculty, and I saw on the board that we're talking about stories here. So what becomes really um, important is to start to think about stories. And, and in some ways, uh, for me, one of the most important people, uh, and, uh, you know, actually a lot of people are important in my story, and a lot of people here have been really influential in shaping me. So ENC becomes a core place. 
But my senior year in particular, I was, I was student body president. Um, in fact, I, I tried to distance myself from ENC for a while because I even went to San Diego like in 1991 and walked into a hotel on Rosecrans Boulevard, which is this place, and this person all of a sudden yells out, Kevin Podesto, student body president. And I was like, I'm, in, I'm like as far as I can physically get away from Boston, right? ZNC. In the United States, I'm, as, I'm still being the continent of the United States. I'm as far as I could be. And this was this thing that was following me. And I thought, well, you know, that was important. But things had changed. Uh, Dr. Hang's brother-in-law, Barry, was my roommate. I remember my second... Uh, actually, the truth is, I went to Guatemala my junior year. Uh, and I started to question everything that I thought. In fact, I started to question if the faith was even true. So those of you who don't believe in God, have no sense, it's okay, it's okay to question. I, I started questioning everything. And all, a lot of you people, some of your parents I know, actually I can see some people whose parents, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, wait a second. Um, you know, we all come to chapel and we go to church and we know all the right churchy things and we look good and we like, and I remember thinking, we're all full of crap. We're full of it. You know, what really matters? And so I was, I, I was about to ditch it you know, as student body president, I had these great accomplishments. We, we were able to get a student voice on the board of trustees, which I, well, what I thought were great accomplishments. You know, my senior year, we fought to get a guard shack built over in the parking lot because people were scared to walk behind the Cove Auditorium and stuff. And so we had, if you notice, there's no guard shack over there anymore. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and Barry, my friend Barry, we're having this conversation. He, I always went to bed early. He would never go to bed. Uh, I, you know, um, and at some point he said, well, Kev, what really matters? What, what is the thing that matters? And it was that sense of relationships. That sense of the people and, and the connections and the bonds and the loving one another that build up. So that became a pretty important conversation and it became a pretty important thing. So my desire at that point was to go to law school or go to business school. And in fact, even when I first had a Facebook account, all these people said, hey, how come you're not a senator yet? Or how come you're not this yet? And it's like, well, I went to Guatemala. I had some conversations. I searched the scripture. And I really felt like loving God and loving other people was far more important than having power or prestige or privilege. And so I went and I became an urban pastor. That's where I spent my life. I, for most of my last couple of years, it's been, well, the last 20 or 30 years, has been in the inner city of different places, in Los Angeles, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Now we live in the inner city of San Diego. And we just kind of live with people and try to be faithful as we can. We try to love them in the way that we can. So you see, the challenge then, when we want to love other people, love requires us to lay down. And to die. Cornell West, a couple weeks ago at Biola University, which is another Christian school in California, was taped. And he says, love is a form of death. West says, love is a form of death. And I like that. Let me see if I wrote down this his exact thing. Because he said, it's particularly challenging when we live in a culture uh, that is a joyless quest for pleasure. Everything in culture tells us pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Rich, wealth, fame. But love calls us to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in my, in my version of the cost of discipleship, is on page 99. He says, when Christ calls, he bids us, come die. Come and die. But death is not the end. One thing I miss in California is we don't have seasons. I love the fall, and it just is feeling like that here. And I love when the trees are empty and barren. 
And so every time I come back east during the winter, I, feel, I actually feel renewed. Because there was, yes, a death, but out of death comes new life. And Christ calls us to a life where we are willing and we willfully lay down our life. Where we place ourselves uh, in, in service and humility to other people. Where we see them as... Philippians 2 says, better than ourselves, where we're willing to humble ourselves. And Jesus does that. You know, I've, I've kind of been a person who really likes these notions of justice, but I've really come lately to say, I'm not sure I like justice because justice, I think, is not strong enough. Love trumps justice. And the Pope, for if anybody's Catholic, actually Pope Benedict, so some people may not like him, uh, he's kind of conservative, uh, and he did retire, which is unusual for a pope. Uh, he writes in his encyclical on love that was issued on Christmas Day, 2005. God's passionate love for his people, for humanity, is at the same time a forgiving love. It is so great that it turns God against himself. His love against his justice. Here, Christians can see a dim prefigurement of the mystery of the cross. So great is God's love for humanity... That by coming a man, he follows him even unto death. And so reconciles justice and love. Love trumps justice. Love calls us to die. Justice calls us to be equal. If we want to live a life that's abundant and full and rich, we need to start to learn how to die. We need to learn to die to our privilege and to our power, and to our prejudice, and to our ideas. And I've talked to enough people around here that I think some of that stuff goes on. We need to learn how to die to those ideas and become a new community, a community where God's love is at the center and that can be a transformative example to a world beyond here. As I talked to people the last couple of weeks, one thing, or a couple of weeks, not a couple of days, Maybe it feels like weeks, but it's just been a couple of days. Um, I, I still am amazed at the power and the potential of this little place to be example of what the kingdom of God can look like in this world. The fact that each one of you are here, each one of you can contribute in unique and distinct ways to that reconciling love that will call the world into account. And not into account in a mean way or judgmental way because quite frankly when I was a student I was judging my fancily dressed nice kind of Christian people that's not love either that's just as much judgmental that needs to be laid down but when we show love and we call that we can be that little you know actually as they used to call Boston that little city on the hill that little light in a place that seems dark God calls us to abandon ourselves on behalf of him and other people. And the truth is the only way we can do that. The starting place to do that. Is actually as these songs that we sang said. Is to acknowledge that God loves each and every one of us in this room. And that in that love. He laid down his life. So that we might in fact be able to pick it up. And love people with abandonment. And without fear. And with hope and possibility. I see that amongst you. I think it is hard work. 
Dying is never fun, right? We actually spend our whole life trying to avoid death. And the Christian gospel calls us to a death. But it's not a death that's without hope. It's a death that brings new life. That seems to me, once I go back to context, to be the essence of that Philippians 2 passage, which I so like. And I think it's the essence that each and one of you can bring to the places that you inhabit. Whether it be a theology major or a business major or a biochem major, you are called to be the hands and feet of Christ in those places. And I would call you and ask you to think about humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord so that people can see and feel and experience the love and grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for a chance to be part of a community that can be an example of your grace and love. I'm fully aware that not everybody believes that. Not everybody even thought of it. Plenty of people here may not have thought of that. But I ask, as we dismiss, that you send your spirit upon them. That you send your spirit upon us, actually, collectively, and allow us to be an example of your grace, love, and mercy in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in the grace and peace of God to serve the world.